So we'll look at a few um, queries this evening. Generally, I think the um, aim, the fir- aim, first aim of our first first few days of practice is to just you know quiet the thinking mind down. I don't say we're going to choke it to death, but <laughs> um, you know, it's certain, there is a usefulness in 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 degree of thinking. Um, but the first thing is to really you know, reduce it to just two particular qualities, uh, vitaka, placing the mind, so you can bring that with a thought, like breath, very, very small breath, just enough to keep you on track. So you use a little word in your head like that, play, like putting a, a flag on something. That's right. Drifting off breath, drifting off body, drifting off posture. All here, you know, vitaka. That's a thought, very minimal. And that's the first. And the other qualities, vichara. How's that? How's that? Lingers. So you place something with a thought and you linger, trying to read it. How is this? How is this? How is this? Hmm, feels like this. So you can then, you might then, you know, what's what's helpful now? Open question. And see if something can arise out of that from the heart, really. It's the heart that eventually has to do the, come up with the answers. Thinking mind's not going to come up with answers, it's going to come up perhaps with ways of, you know, uh, getting the heart to come up with an answer. You know, how is this? How do you feel? Is that suffering, non-suffering? Is it soft, calm, so, you know, how is this? This Vitaka Vichara leads on to qualities such as investigation, Dhamma Vijaya, but also just the very act of steadily placing, you know, um, does help the mind to be firmly reined in, gathered in, in a way that's not harsh, but just, come on, what's this, what's this, what's this? And these two qualities, you can expand them, you know, in a way sati is that vitaka, like, hold it, hold it there, no, just, just there. Got it? Right. And vichara is more like sampajana. How is this? And this very, from these kind of simple seeds, these big, these kind of more languages used to describe how these qualities, how this practice, this process unfolds. You know, you know. So we get things like samatha which refers to the steadying effect. And you get vipassana, which refers to the looking into quality. Or you might get samadhi, referring to the consolidation of the mind. It's gathered in, collected. You might get panya, discernment, wisdom, which refers to the mind's ability to know something. And these all these kind of terms can arise out of this, you know, very modest and right now practice. <clears throat> I think so there's a couple of questions about samatha and vipassana, what are they? What is vipassana meditation, what's samatha meditation? And yeah, the very, very question, it's, I can understand it because that's often the way that it's presented um, but the Buddha didn't use those, didn't do that. <laughs> uh, he said there's uh, cultivation, and you, you know, you, as you're practicing, as you're there, the feeling of, oh, I just need to steady down, steady up a bit. Oh, might make feel more comfortable, steady, 
and this steadying effect is a samatha effect and then what's this all about? What makes this, what, you know, what conditions bring this to mind? So you might have conditions such as, you know, um, attitude or approach or energy. So you begin to review the, or begin to inquire into the qualities that support particular states. And he didn't really use these terms very often. Mostly he talked about things like panya, discernment, wisdom, which is a very broad term, which you can include any sense where the mind is differentiating this from that, even saying this is black and that's white, involves some kind of discernment. Um, so it's the sense of differentiating, which... Um, uh, as, as we get into cultivation, then most clearly we want to start to differentiate. This is skillful, this is not skillful. That's pretty important. Ethics. Yeah. This leads to bad results, pain and suffering, stress and defilement. This leads out of it. That's, that's discernment, wisdom. And so, you know, then this quality can be further developed into... Mm, you know, mm, you know, refined, more refined wisdom. How your, how the mind is being affected, how it's steadied. This, this anger, this attitude is too weak or too unfocused. So a bit more discerning. This quality should be there all the time. Beauty of panya means it's like you know, you can do it just in terms of daily life, when's the right time, is it appropriate to speak or not speak? Uh, you know, so you just kind of steer your life with a degree of panya, recognizing everything you do has effects. So that's a lovely, wide open Buddhist teaching, you know. And it doesn't set up any contradictions. I think one of the problems with Samatha Vipassana language is that you get these camps of Samatha people and Vipassana people and then and this seems to have evolved after the time of the Buddha. I mean, naturally, people was trying to think about it and get it all figured out. <laughs> Understandable human impulse to try to get it all clearly established for the welfare of people who came later. It's a nice idea. But then it got really into a lot of using a lot of terminology. And I th- in my opinion, it just became a bit too complex and kind of overdid it, really. Um, uh, and uh, that led eventually to um, um, kinds of views about Vipassana and Samatha, um, particularly classically in a time when uh, people felt the analytical approach was the most important thing. Um, to make sure you didn't get any sense. It was because there'd been a lot of uh, uncertainty around the nature of the Buddha, which the Buddha never really explained. So it's this nature of the Buddha. Well, if the Buddha has some kind of nature, is that some kind of self? Or not? Since there is a Buddha. You know. So if what is it some kind of soul or Buddha quality or Buddha potential or you know, trying to figure it out. And we were careful, that sounds like it could be a bit of self-view coming in. We don't want that. So there's a very strong movement to try and keep cutting everything down into just this is a mind moment, this is a mind moment, there's no no body that's happening to. This became the, the Vipassana movement that grew out of that. And it, it uh, was refined to a, a fine art um, and still is refined to a fine art, particularly in some of the uh, lineages in Myanmar, a very precise analytical thing. Mm. But then you can get views like, oh, you shouldn't do any jhana because you might get stuck in jhana. No, because that's, you've got to be analytical in jhana, you don't not analyzing enough, so that could be a dead end. You might get stuck in bliss.
bit dangerous, isn't it? But so, and then though that naturally creates a little bit of conflict, you know, <laughs> between people who, because the Buddha uses the word jhana much more often than he uses the word vipassana, like fifty times more often at least. So you you know it's difficult to really go through the suttas without recognizing the Buddha's advocating jhana. He doesn't mention vipassana very much at all. But he does mention panya. So panya I think is more reliable. Vipassana means really you're beginning to notice the all oh, the qualities, how how changeable everything is, you know, just like I was you even you get to feel your hand directly and you can sense it's just various pulses and throbs and sensations. It's not a solid thing at all, it's just the continuing flow of of experiences, we might say that's a kind of vipassana um, quality. Just a review on that. I think, in brief, you know, it's uh, main focus is to get steady and clear the hindrances, the hindrances of the mind. And, which you can do through a number of means. Some of these means are like tutangas, which means you deliberately, you know, uh, go against your desires or your wishes, so the mind eventually gives up craving or resistance. And this is tutangas. So this is the particularly forest monk, monks often do tutanga practices, you know, which means, for example. Well, only eating one meal a day out of a bowl tends to be a tutanga because naturally you can get hungry, maybe you didn't get much food today, but that's it. Um, uh, so a certain sense of mm, going against your wishes. Uh, community life is a bit of a tutanga practice because a lot of the time you'd sooner be on your own or just with the people you like or just with two or three, but community, monastic community, get. Yeah. 20, 30, 50 people tumbling together, you know, and it's sort of, I don't really like that, and it's just strange to me, and why is she always doing that, and this kind of thing, so it only gets, gets at you. <laughs> Finds a button, button pushing time, you know, and she just, you know, hopefully, if you get it right, you learn to look at what's happening in your own mind and begin to release the resistances or the emotions that come up. Uh, most people, I would say, generally need to find some sense of, of simplifying and steadying their, their, their minds because they're often racing too, too fast and too full. And so, you know, that you could call that samatha. And it can be anything. Like you can do metta, bhavana, that helps to make the mind smooth and steady. You could say that's a samatha uh, approach. You could do chanting, that helps make the mind calm and steady. That's a, you could call that a samatha approach. And so it's really the samatha is the response to the mind's need for stability. And uh, vipassana is the response to the to the need for um, you know uh, re- reviewing nature of nature of experience, and by and large, you know, the rough uh, um, agreement would probably be that you do need a degree of samatha before you can do much of the other, because your minds or lopsided and all over the place and crazy and, and you know you can't really do much reviewing of it it's just like you're trying to you know do a movement in the dance when if you're just all jittery it's not going to work out so you get the smooth movement smooth movement get it smooth and then you can begin to recognize oh yeah within that if I just you know, just a little more weight on my ankle, just a little more turn, 
that will make it flow. But you've got to get the basic smooth movement first of all, and then you can. How's that? You know, that'd be my response to it. But remember, the, all these things are to remove hindrances, and one of the way that um, you know doubt or lack of confidence um, arises is when we are searching for certainty in ideas. Because ideas are only maps of reality and uh, you can never find reality in a map, in an idea. So if you're just trying to get the ideas right, that's, you just need enough to be able to recognize the hindrances and remember a few strategies to work with them and response to doubt generally ideas and thoughts don't help because you just get another doubt we're trying to figure it out what helps with doubt is heart heart, good heart we don't have to think just feel I trust I feel good, I'm trusting and the heart feels strong Naturally, in this process, we have to make the heart strong. So doubt is considered the kind of final or most, um, uh, well, the last hindrance to be able to be dissolved. Uh, because uh, unless the mind is free from craving, it's not strong. And you have every reason to doubt if your mind isn't free from craving. You think, if I got it right, what if it's not free from craving? You haven't got it right yet. You need to practice with that sense desire. If your mind is full of irritability, grumpiness, fault-finding, criticizing yourself, criticizing others, and it does that repeatedly, you think, oh, no, wait a minute. Heart is too, is not happy in itself. It's not happy in itself. Yeah. It's not happy in itself, this kind of sour, not happy state starts to spill over into ill will. And then you see things that definitely you can get annoyed about. And you think, yeah, it's true, that's not right. But it's not right, maybe true, but getting angry about it, no, that's a defilement. You know, getting irritated by it. Maybe she, he, you know, she broke something, or he came in late. And that's true. But getting irritated by it means your heart isn't able to manage things being the way they are without getting upset. <laughs> because of course, <laughs> this is what happens, isn't it? <laughs> you know, people make mistakes. People are confused, people lose their temper, people get this, that and the other and getting angry about it, irritated by it is a sign of weakness can you meet the contradictions of life without getting knocked around by it that's uh, that's what you need to know and that's not going to come as an idea it's going to come through the heart being made strong and comfortable and settled, and it knows itself. It knows itself. When it knows itself, there's no doubt. Because that's the only thing to know, really. It's to know the heart. To know the heart knows itself. It knows its openness, its steadiness, its uh, boundlessness. And the more you know it, the less room there is for doubt. Dullness, we get a bit sluggish, stale, sometimes, you know, just withdrawing from busy life makes one feel dull, rather like the engine stalling of a car, when trying to drive it at one mile an hour, it conks out. So you come down, you're down, you know, changing your speed of life, 
and changing the amount of stimulation that goes on, you know, where the mind is constantly picked up and thrown around by sights and sounds and duties and things to do, then we switch that off and boom, the mind falls over. Heart falls over because it hasn't got anything to hold on to. Oy. So for this, you know, we've got to find something to it to hang on to, making a simple meditation object, bodily posture, walking up and down, using a mantra, a word, bop, 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 keep it there, bop, bop, slow it down, bop, bop. So the mind is strong enough to hold on without its energy crashing. The opposite, hindrance, restlessness, where it will never sit down. It's too busy. It still hasn't found itself. And it's either just too busy, it's used to stimulation, it searches for stimulation, it searches for stimulation in terms of things to do, things to work on. I mean, these are unwholesome in themselves. Things to do, things to work on. Pass the time, da 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 da. And it fidgets, it doesn't sit still. And again, this is because the heart isn't ready yet to sit still. All these hindrances really come together, and some you, you use, you challenge yourself, you use sense restraint. You use kindness, 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 just stake it steady, warm-heartedness. You use uh, steadying meditations that calm the mind. You use reviewing meditation to inquire. Wait a minute, that thing that you're so passionate about, what is it? It's just something shining, that's all. Can you have a shining? No. It's not, it's just impression, sanya. You see something, a nice color, a nice shape. Can you have a shape? No. Well, there's nothing to have, is there? And we, you know, the eye can get attracted by forms, sights, and so on. Colors, shapes, shapes of bodies. And what are you looking at? Looking at a shape. What's a shape? <laughs> You can't have a shape, can you? <laughs> because it <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You can't, there's nothing to, nothing to have in it. You can imagine, but that's a fantasy. So, this is, this is what we might call wisdom. You might call it insight if you like. You start to inquire into what annoys you or delights you. And it's just, just sanya. It's just perceptions and impressions. It's just judgments and opinions. It's just something going not the way you want it to. Or what's that? Sankara. You know, this plan of the aggregates is a good one to to work on. You know, try to get it so those rather strange Pali words you 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 know what they're referring to, not just an idea, but you can feel them. You sense. You know, first thing you see rupa shape. You look around, you see bodies. No, you're not seeing bodies, you're seeing shapes. Yeah. I don't see any livers, any lungs, any intestines. I don't see any bodies, I see shapes. Get it, get it right. Be ruthlessly direct about what you're looking at. Even the idea you're seeing people. You're not seeing people, you're seeing visual shapes. <laughs> and you can, you know, certainly reasonable interpretation. They look like men and women to me humans, but you don't know what's going on. And you can feel frightened, intimidated, infatuated, <laughs> over, over a shape, really. <laughs> a shape and, a, and the sanya, the impression that arises. You know, nature of the face is threatening or, or attractive or reminds you of your aunt or your cousin or something. That's sanya. All this stuff going on, rupa, sanya, vedana, feeling, 
the sankharas, the various pro- activations and programs, the way we act, where our mind acts in terms of behavior, in terms of directing itself. There's that. Some of it's pretty involuntary. It just jumps up. You know, you find yourself getting into some kind of daydream, fantasy plan or another. You know, what am I doing? It's running away. Uh, so, yeah. Well, this is Sankara. It's not just. It's not you, Sankara. How does it feel? So this is a good, I could say, a vipassana thing, just to be able to have even these five terms to describe your experience. And then, you know, once you've got it like that, you can either penetrate it, this is just an, this is just an impression, but remember this is a little more than just the intellectual, you've got to get a feeling for the, you know, the, the fog that mind creates, the smoke screens. And when the sankharas are running out, then you generally got to both recognize, well, this is not self. Don't believe in where it's going (laughs) and the people it creates. Like, I'm going to tell her what she should be doing because she's like this. Whoa, don't follow that one. (laughs) You've already decided what she's like, right? That's your opinion. You decided what she needs, that's your opinion. And you're going to go and act upon it. <laughs> you haven't actually really know who you're talking about yet. <laughs> uh, so it just will pull, because there's karma. So you pull that one back. Mm-hmm. Pull it back. What's it feel? Feel agitation. Feel pressure in the mind. Feel need to do something. Just steady on. How's that in your body? Just calm it. Calm it, steady it. Just calm, that's just how's it. What's happening in your legs, your feet? Just take a breath. Let that one go, you know? It can certainly take you quite a while to do that when these sankharas are very firmly established and habitually followed. So you've got to do it once, and then the sanya comes back, but she shouldn't be this way. Whoa, stop! down again, what's happening, let's get a bit of calm here, you know, you've got to live your life, do you want to continue being, getting upset about everybody else and making your heart into a place of agitation, no, do you want to keep doing that, there's seven billion people on this planet you could disagree with, (laughs) you're going to be very busy trying to sort them all out, why don't you just sort one person out, the only one you can save, sitting right here. Just pull that thing back. Get it to sit down. Don't believe in it. And then, then you might come up with another response, more skillful. Like, well, I think I perhaps I'll just go and talk to her and say, I'm feeling this, and how are you, and could we talk about that? And, you know, let's just be two reasonable people and see what happens. You know, let's take this bit of friendliness here. <laughs> uh, you know, this samatha or vipassana. <laughs> It's kind of both, isn't it, really, when you look at it. Skillful cultivation. Because you just don't want all this stuff taking over your heart. Mm-hmm. And then then you, once you realize that you, you can get the heart so as it's free, at least standing back from these qualities that carry it along, then you know, oh, that's that. All this thing that I thought my, was my mind, my crazy mind, isn't my mind. It's sankharas. It's these aggregates running out. And there's something else here, which is just warm, steady, open, balanced, quiet. doesn't run out. Ah, when you touch that, you think, oh, this is something I can feel some confidence in. I need to come to this a lot, a lot. I need to come to this a lot. So I get really confident in it and reset my approach to life. This is a big change. 
this is a stream entra, you know, it's got beyond doubt. Mm. How you get there, mixture of things, goodwill, you know, remember that one. Sense of sangwega, which means, look, you know, you're going to die soon. You don't know how long. Do you really want to be running up and down that, that bad back alley in your mind all the time? Do you want that? Or do you want to get out of it? You can, you know. You can. Just use a skillful means. So often in when we, you know, meditation itself is only one, a very helpful and I think necessary feature of the path, but it's still, you know, we've got to find processes and practices that we really establish at a heart level, almost like become instinctual. You know, you, you feel unwholesomeness coming, you, back, you feel it, you will back off. You know, you can feel greed coming and you know, get out of that one. You can, it doesn't catch you anymore. Um, so this is where you really do your learning in, de- in meditation, because you can feel these influences coming up. Yeah? And you get to know them. The mind heating up, getting sour, scurrying round and then then you know that then of course when you're not meditating then you're actually in the real test because now you're in random circumstances where any old thing can get thrown at you and you've got to be on guard vigilant so this is how these practices are there only themselves, you know, samatha vipassana is only a means to, to, um, you know, to bring one back to Dhamma, the heart back to truth. So, that, you know, our lives can be for our welfare and we feel no regret. Well, somebody's asking here about. Um, Samadhi and jhana. So, well, yeah. So these words again could have could have different uh, meanings. Remember, you know, Buddhism's been around for two thousand five hundred years, and so you know the way the term language is used has changed a little bit, as you can imagine. You can imagine, you know, what language was in Malaysia 2,500 years ago and it's all changed and developed. Now although, you know, the Buddhist monks and nuns did a very good job on trying to establish this terminology, still the way those words are used can fluctuate uh, uh, over time. But by and large the samadhi means um, is a sense of the mind being settled and collected and jhana refers to the mind deeply absorbing into what it's doing in meditation. So the word when the Buddha exhorted the uh, monks, he'd say, jayati bhikkhuwe, here are roots of trees, here are empty places, jayati, means really get into it, absorb into practice, which is more general thing, like, you know, don't distract yourself, really focus, get absorbed into this, wonderful opportunity. So it's used in perhaps more colloquially. Yeah. It means totally soak yourself in in this opportunity. So you could say in some sense we're all doing jhana, hopefully, and then we're trying to really steep ourselves, saturate ourselves in this experience. But then also the term is used more technically to refer to particular Um, levels, sometimes called levels of samadhi, when various functions of the mind quiet down or the, the tonality of the mind changes. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, samadhi becomes, you could say, something that really is pretty steady in the process of eliminating the five hindrances. I think that should be a very good benchmark to recognize if the 
if you've not experienced the five hindrances and you're, you're not going out into the sense objects, you're probably, you can call it samadhi. <laughs> and it can deepen because depending on the nature of one's citta um, and how, how, how uh, many times you able to and what periods of time you can you can stay in that in those states where the mind is quite comfortable and free then you get a, a real recognizable um, tone to it or perceptual tone to it and these are called jhanas <coughs> but like when we're talking about mind remember we're talking about heart right so you don't really exactly have clear categories in the heart like you're feeling something are you happy with just a tinge of nostalgia are you warm hearted with a little tinge of affection or you know, kind of heart is very tonal. It's not doesn't come in boxes. It's tonal. You understand? And you can't exactly draw a line around a tone. Yeah. But the, uh, the 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 jhana is sometimes defined. Well, the first jhana is defined in two different ways, which makes it slightly confusing. Uh, I guess because perhaps they reviewed it at different times and saw different qualities in it. But the, uh, probably the, one of the most important features that you can recognize in cultivation is this quality of viveka, which is the ability just to disengage from the mental content. doesn't mean you don't have any, but you're not hooked up to it. In other words, you're, you're not fascinated by it, you're not annoyed by it, you just step back. You might say this is the beginning of meditation real meditation, Buddhist meditation is the ability just to know a thought is a thought, a mood is a mood a feeling is a feeling and you can quality of viveka and that's necessary and as the uh, the mind acquires that ability to step back acquires that ability to step back it's also able to focus that, that because it's it's kind of freed up to that extent. It's like it's nothing in your hand now. You're not full of stuff. You put things down. So now you can. What's that? What's that? This is vitaka vichara. What's that? Now that's dependent upon not having a handful of stuff. So you put things down. So you. Oh, now you can operate vitaka vichara. And um, the other qualities that are present, you know, one review of it anyway, is piti, which means as the hindrances disappear, your mind starts to feel really uplifted and happy. You know, you know. Said it's likened to somebody coming out of prison. You know, oh, wow. <laughs> oh, you know, putting a weight off their back. You know, oh, yeah. See, it's the piti rises up. And then you get a quality mixes up with a sense of comfortable ease, sukkha. So if these are steady there, and then you're redwelling in the heart, which is liberated from these um, aggressive hindrances, and then that's classified, if you like, as jhana. But as I said, you know, the over time, people have developed various views about it, and... Um, uh, made made it more perhaps more refined, more complicated, um, and so therefore it, we get people who say you don't need jhana, so you've got to have jhana. You don't need jhana. This is jhana. That's not jhana. And, well, it's, uh, you know, like, I don't need this. I don't need this stuff. I don't need this. I just want to feel good. <laughs> 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 Whatever you want to call it, <laughs> I'll go for that. Uh, so I think really, this. Why do we ask these questions? You know, because we're looking for some guidance so that we'll feel comfortable and steady, and our minds won't be obsessed with difficult 
experiences and sadness and agitation and clear that, clear that, clear that and linger in that this is absorbing the good very worthwhile is it possible for a lay, a lay person to maintain samadhi throughout the day even during working so let's have a look which lay person are we talking about <laughs> I don't think he's got a chance maybe no I don't think she can do it <laughs> I guess try but, uh, I think it would be very difficult uh, <laughs> you can maintain panya yeah, and, and you can maintain metta but really uh, samadhi is much more withdrawn you know, heart collected in itself certainly if you cultivate uh, and you've got that, that those experiences then you know, there's a lot less going out that occurs. Even if you're doing things, something you remain steady and calm within and you're not really bothered. Um, but that, so there's that, that does have a long-term effect, which really does help to transform one's life, one's lifestyle, one's behavior. And the more you do that, then the easier meditation gets and so on. So we need to keep those, definitely those two references going and um, daily life, meditation, should feed upon each other. Mm. Um, But the panya panya is really the thing that you can maintain more usefully for activity than samadhi because activity is, goes out. When I see people doing bad deeds or cruel things I tend to feel a lot of aversion or even anger. Is this kind of aversion wholesome or unwholesome? Should I cultivate upeka to counter it? When we see things um, um, that we found strike us as bad or cruel, naturally what occurs is our sense of, of sympathy for people is shocked because we don't want to see people being hurt so a sense of sympathy is shocked and jarred and we feel we've lost some warm comfortable quality so naturally we're upset we get upset about that and a skillful practitioner is aware of how things are affecting her or him and tries to deal with this quality of being Upset, annoyed, agitated, steady it, know it for what it is, calm it, so we're not thrown out into anger and recrimination. You don't really cultivate upeka, it's something that occurs as you get wiser about what you can do and what you can't do. So when you're wiser about this isn't something I can do anything about then I don't can't say I like it or appreciate it my mind knows it finds a a steadiness. equanimity most of us I imagine will consider this is something I could do now if you see something happening on the television not much you can do right now directly you might be able to protest about it or but um, not much you can do directly but we'll probably consider as the ways I could solve this situation. Could I have empathy for the person who's committing the unskillful action? <coughs> so a few stories. 
One story is a, a woman who was, a, I think, a peace activist. And so she was protesting outside a military base. This is in America. And they protest. They wouldn't do any harm. They'd just protest, sit around, stand around, wave placards and this, that and the other. And, you know, and then the police would come along and try to throw them out. Of course, they just, you know, uh, police would get annoyed trying to throw these people out. And uh, people would just be sitting there, so they're difficult to carry them and move them around and, and things like that. And so sometimes the police when would lose a temper or the military guard loses temper and start hitting people with, they often throw tear gas and things like that or start hitting them with a stick you know. and so these people, the peace activists learned how to just protect themselves you know, like curl up <coughs> so they didn't get their heads hurt and just curl up and they'd been beaten just curl up and this woman said you know she was uh, this military policeman thrown her onto the ground he was kicking her kicking her with his boot and she's lying there being kicked and she thought wow he's really upset poor man he's so angry and frustrated oh dear and she had this quality of karuna arising <laughs> she felt em empathy for the other person you see. She's lying there. She eventually sort of really loved. So he's got a, you know, he's got a rotten job. He's got to do this rotten job. He doesn't want to do this. He's got to do this, and you know, felt a quality of karuna rising because it's, you know, empathy for the other. <laughs> yeah. um, another story. We had a, a man who used to come to the monastery. He was a sort of split personality, one side of him was quite devout and one side of him was crazy <laughs> and you never quite knew which bit was going to be happening yeah, so he'd start off sitting, because when he meditated he'd sit there and, he'd, and then suddenly he'd go out some crazy statement oh, that I am the enlightened one and you think oh no you know, and then he'd get angry and frustrated and sometimes he'd just, he'd just explode with rage. So, you know, we got used to him because the monastery is always pretty open. You know, people just come in and you know, that's what you get. So you can be sitting somewhere and then suddenly this guy comes up and starts throwing rage on you. <laughs> just not reacting to it. And eventually it would die down by him not reacting to it. Just. <clears throat> because if you start trying to say shut up, shut up, shut up, stop it then of course that increases the anger so you just sit there mm -hmm. okay. and eventually he, because he wasn't getting the anger back or the fighting it, it would run out and he looked confused and <clears throat> but we decided we wouldn't let him stay as a guest in the monastery because clearly there are other people Sometimes you have to share a room. You don't want to share a room with a psychotic maniac. <laughs> Just out of compassion for the guests. So he said, no, you can't stay the night. But he would, he would sometimes sleep in his van. He didn't have a, he didn't have a home. Um, so he'd sleep in a van and he'd come to the monastery. And sometimes he'd do some good things, do some work, and then he'd be okay, and then he'd blow up again. And um, he'd been in prison of time for violent behavior um, and, and then she got he found out he got cancer so he had this uh, terrible I think it was lung cancer killing him and he only he didn't have a home to live in he only had this old van he used to sleep in and it was getting so difficult and then he tried to his son wouldn't take him in because he, he was his son, it's so been so difficult for his son, his son refused to take him in. His sister wouldn't take him in either, wouldn't look after him because he was so unpleasant to her. So he didn't have where to go. So he came to the monastery. We said, We can't have him as a guest because it you know, upsets all the other guests. And so one of the older monks who used to 
stay, you used to listen to him a lot. Say, so come in here. It's a place in the workshop, which you're not supposed to have people sleeping in the workshop. <laughs> but we thought, oh, just, you know. So he'd come in and he'd, uh, this old monk would sit and listen to him, a guy ranting and angry. He's ranting and angry. Ranting and angry. Calm down. Get tired. So here, you can sleep here. Made a little bed for him on a bench, and he slept there. Uh, and you know, he just got sicker, and every day, you know, he'd come back again. Same thing. The monk would look after him, and uh, he's just kind of grew quieter and quieter. The anger began to leave him. The anger began to leave him. And uh, and then the you know so he, he he'd kind of he'd been hurt, and I think one of the main problems was in his life, of course, he had a you know brutal upbringing, and so he'd never been able to his emotions always been suppressed, so nobody ever listened to him because he was so so, so angry. So just this monk listening, boom, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah, when he was doing some work, oh yes, mm. eventually finished, he finished his anger, and then the, um, I still didn't have where to go, and then the, the secretary of the monastery is a very lovely person, she managed to arrange him to go to hospice, and then she'd go to the hospice every day, and offer him food, and look after him, and then she just died, and that's the way you deal with angry people. <laughs> Or one way, but you know you just have to trust your heart, and and uh, and, and you know so we can be really frightened of anger. And we all get angry; it's not pleasant. And you just have to look. You know, just meet this quality in others. If you meet it with kindness and patience, it almost always dies down. In a case when we had this another fellow who was, you know, psychologically disturbed, come to the monastery, and sometimes he'd, he'd start off okay, then he'd get into some obsessive mind state, gradually get more and more manic, in this manic problem where your mind is overcooking, and he'd get frantic and manic, and then he'd kind of have these great things he wanted to do, and then people might say, just be, you know, stop it, be quiet, and he'd get annoyed start shouting at people. This is supposed to be a compassionate place, you've got, you've got no compassion, this kind of thing. People always accuse you of not having compassion when they can't get what they want. <laughs> <laughs> so I've heard this, yeah, I'm not compassionate, I've heard this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so he, he came into the main meeting hall, he was getting really volcanic, you know, and the nuns looked at him and they ran away, I'm getting out of the way, and this monk came and said, this is inappropriate, this is wrong behaviour, you shouldn't be behaving like this, he got even more angry. And so I thought, this guy, so I just kind of walked up to him and put my hand on his shoulder and said, you know, Tony, you're getting really upset, why don't we go for a little walk together? And just go for a walk together, I just touched him, took him around the you know, you're really tiring yourself out with all this stuff. Why don't you just relax a little bit? It's okay. And he just... He just sat down on the floor and went to sleep. It's <laughs> 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 just his... The energy just dissolved at the touch of goodwill. All this pent-up hostility and feeling. Nobody's listening to him and feeling annoyed and feeling you know, rejected. And he just... Empathy, beautiful quality, to 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 touch these frightening and horrible emotions that we're all human beings are capable of, yeah. and it's uh, as you do. It's it's a very unfortunate condition when when it escalates to the point of massive 
nations fighting with each other and people just going completely out of control. Uh, you want to try to deal with it with a quality of direct heart empathy and compassion for the person who's behaving in such a, a way that will generate so much bad results for themselves. Yeah, and then, mm, can we try that? Mm. This is certainly the first thing we try. And people who can't make it, then you have to, well this is, I've done what I can, I've offered what I can, this is as far as I can go, and then you have this quality of upeka. Because you still don't blame the person, you just think, you know, she or he's got this karmic thing, don't have to work it out, I can't, you know, I'm there, but it's not going to, I'm ready if they want to help, but I, I can't, you know, you can't get into somebody else's heart and change it. You just create something that they could refer to that helps them to remember their real humanity underneath all these crazy things that happen to the mind. And you do it to others, the beauty of that is you're able to do it to yourself when you go a bit crazy. <laughs> And you get friends who are able to say, oh yes, don't worry, Ajahn, yeah, yeah, you'll be all right. It's okay. Just calm down. Yes, we all get like that. Yeah. But they shouldn't be this way. Yeah, I know, yeah, just calm down, take it easy. <laughs> this is how we help each other. The difference between awareness and mindfulness. Awareness is a pretty fundamental um, property of citta, sometimes you can translate citta as awareness, although it's a very broad, uh, non-specific term. It means the ability to receive experience. You know, you know where something you can notice something happening. Fundamental property of mind, which can be dwelt upon, so that one becomes much more. You know just the receiving rather than the reaction. And so you have practices, sometimes called practices called open awareness or choiceless awareness, where you just remain in that aware state and whatever touches your mind, you don't react to it, you just let it pass through. But mindfulness is much more, um, has a bit more of a focus to it, <coughs> something we can establish to be mindful of a particular Phenomenon. It could be a sensation, it could be a process like breathing in and out, it could be even a, a theme, like an idea. Be mindful that one should, you know, a little bit of advice that you're mindful of, you bear that in mind. Uh, patience, remember that one, be mindful of that quality. Um, and so it generally refers to a particular knowable object and it holds it steadily so the mind gains confidence and the good qualities from that action established upon something that will give rise to truth clarity, calm wisdom goodwill and so forth so you place your mindfulness on something awareness is not placed it's everywhere and the placing of mindfulness is is through a process called deep attention or wise reflection. You only saw Manisikara, it's one way of referring to it. What's worth really placing my mindfulness on? This, no, get obsessive. This, too, I can't get it, it's too subtle. This, this is about right. This is giving me the right results. So, we select with careful attention a suitable topic to bear in mind, to be mindful of. You stay in that and you re rece receive the good results of what you have uh, given this careful uh, attention to. And this is mindfulness. Okay, so let's um, 
enough for today, talking. <clears throat> Sit together for a few minutes and be mindful of anything that you've heard in this just this last hour or so or during the day, just bring it up into mind. Be mindful of it. Uh, linger with it. Don't let it just rush away. Dwell upon it. To derive any clarity, guidance or steadiness that can arise from a skillful piece of Dhamma. And then we'll conclude at nine with our mantra. <clears throat> 